Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast. This is your host, Jared Dawkins here. I hope all of you out there in the world are taking good care of yourselves and being safe during this pandemic and making good, smart, careful decisions. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, as we all know, the NBA season is coming to an end. And we are now down to two teams. We're down to the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors for the right to call themselves NBA champions in the 2022 NBA Finals. This is probably the best NBA Finals matchup that we probably could have asked for as NBA fans as it pertains to how this NBA playoffs started, the, the certain matchups that we were that we were, that we got and that we felt like we were probably going to get. And this is probably the best matchup that we probably could have asked for. We have the Golden State Warriors, Steph, Clay, Draymond, Steve Kerr. This will be their sixth NBA Finals in eight years, going for their fourth NBA championship in eight years, going up against the Boston Celtics, 17 championship banners, M.A. Udoka, the first-time head coach, leading the Boston Celtics to the NBA championship with the young guns, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Robert Williams, Al Horford, being a veteran in the NBA, making it to his first ever NBA Finals. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown making it to their first ever NBA Finals. And this Finals is very unique. It's very, it's different. And here are the reasons why I say this NBA Finals is different. You have a Golden State Warriors team. I want to start with the Warriors. You have a Golden State Warriors team who... For two years, they were away from the championship picture. And they were away from the championship picture after being in the finals for multiple years and injuries finally caught up to them. And then you factor in the the last two the last two NBA seasons, Steph, Clay, Draymond suffered injuries, and the dynasty was on pause. I remember Colin Cowherd saying this after the Warriors lost the 2019 NBA Finals to the Raptors. He put it perfectly. Shout out to Colin Cowherd. He said that the dynasty was on pause. And I'll never forget him saying that. And that was the perfect way to say that. Because if you look back at what the Warriors went through over the last two years, and then you look at where they are now, he was right. Their dynasty is on pause. And not only that, they found a way to reinvent themselves while still being the Warriors. And one of the one of the one of the two X factors that I think will take place for the Warriors is Andrew Wiggins, but I'm gonna get to him in a minute. Now let's talk about the Boston Celtics very quickly. The Boston Celtics, as we all know, M.A. Udoka is a is a first year head coach. And he led the Boston Celtics to, to their first NBA Finals since 2008 when Doc Rivers led the Celtics to the NBA Finals with KG, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce. And he took over for Brad Stevens, who eventually moved up to the to, to a front office position. And he and M.A. Udoka leads Boston to the NBA Finals. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. This is their first ever appearance in the Finals after not being able to get over the hump and and get past the Eastern Conference Finals, they couldn't get past LeBron. They couldn't get past Giannis. But then they were finally able to get past the Miami Heat after after a seven-game war and get to the NBA Finals. And now, with the Boston Celtics, 
They've never been in this position before. They don't have they don't have the NBA Finals experience that the Golden State Warriors have. But with this series in general, we both know that that with this series, Golden State is a very team-oriented basketball team. They share the basketball. They play really, really good defense. Boston, they play really, really good defense. They share the basketball. They're very team-oriented. They play really good defense. So this NBA Finals is going to come down to two X factors, in my opinion. First X factor for the for the Golden State Warriors, Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins is now taking over, in my opinion. I probably say he's taking over that Andrew that 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 Andre Iguodala role, where Andre Iguodala, when he first got to Golden State, he he was he was their three ball shooter, played really really good defense, and was really athletic, kind of towards the end of his career, but still athletic to a degree. That's the role that Andrew Wiggins Andrew Wiggins is kind of taking on a little bit. Can shoot the three ball, can play really really good defense, and is very athletic. He's probably going to be guarding. Jalen Brown, maybe Marcus Smart or Derek White off the bench. And with the Boston Celtics, their X factor is probably more is more than likely probably going to be Grant Williams. If Grant Williams can show up in this series in the NBA Finals like he did against Milwaukee in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Semifinals, if he can put up a 23 or 24 point, point, point performance excuse me, in in one or two of these NBA or one or two of these NBA finals games, Boston will Boston will have a legitimate chance of winning this series. And also this series will simply come down to for the Boston Celtics, this series will simply come down to this. Can Boston hold their water when having a fifth when having a twelve to thirteen to fifteen point lead? Can they hold their water against Golden State like they did against Miami. Because I'm going to tell you this right now. Golden State is not Miami. You take Jimmy Butler off the Miami Heat, Miami is very limited offensively. With Golden State, if you do not hold your water while having a 12 to 13 or 14 point lead, Golden State will take that 13 point deficit that they were in and turn it into an 8, 9, 10 point lead within two minutes. They're that damn good. So, the X factors for for the X factors in this series will be Andrew Wiggins for Golden State, Grant Williams for Boston, and I'm gonna throw in a little bonus X factor, Robert Williams. And I say Robert Williams because of the simple fact of Robert Williams is probably going to force Golden State to shoot the three ball a little bit more than what they actually want to because he's gonna keep. Golden State from getting into the paint. He's going to keep Andrew Wiggins from getting into the paint. He's going to keep Jordan Poole from getting into the paint. So Robert Williams is going to also play a major factor in this series as well. But the bottom line is this. Can a young Boston Celtics team who almost blew an Eastern Conference Finals series to a one-man Miami Heat team with Jimmy Butler in the Heat, can my can the can the Boston Celtics, if they ever have those 13, 14 point leads at any point in this series, can they hold their water late in the fourth quarter or midway through the third quarter going into the fourth quarter if they have a 10 or 11 point lead? Can they hold their water and keep Golden State from cutting that lead to five, and then eventually? Golden State avalanching Boston. 
Because if Boston can't hold, if Boston can't hold their water after having a 10, 11 to 12 point lead, they're going to probably have two, maybe one or two of those games, whether it be games one or game two or game two or game four, they're going to have those games where they had a 10 point lead or 11 point lead in the fourth quarter and they blew them. And those two games would have eventually led Boston to winning the championship. So, with all of that being said, with my X-Factors being Andrew Wiggins for Golden State, being Grant Williams for Boston, and also Robert Williams for Boston and Golden State, being able to try and hold their water in this series when they have a double-digit lead. With all of that being said, I have the Golden State Warriors winning the NBA Finals in six games, and I have Klay Thompson winning the NBA Finals MVP. I know a lot of people will probably say Steph probably deserves to win the NBA Finals MVP, and he's probably going to go for it. But with Clay being as on fire as he's been in these playoffs, I just feel like, to me, I think it's Clay Thompson's time to win the NBA Finals MVP. So, so Golden State wins the NBA Finals in six, and Clay Thompson wins NBA Finals MVP. Warriors in six, Thompson wins MVP. Next up, I want to talk about Nick Saban and the NIL situation. And I'm probably really late on this, but at the end of the day, better late than never. Ladies and gentlemen, have you guys ever had this friend or this couple who will just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about other people's relationships? Or you ever had that friend who will accuse this person of doing this or accuse this person of doing that or accuse this person of not having their priorities in order? Or you ever been a part of being friends with a couple who will talk smack about this couple not doing this or this person's cheating on you or this, or this person's doing this to this person or whatever the case may be, but then all of the all all of the friends or all of the couples that are looking at that one couple that is accusing all the other couples of having problems they look at they look at that one couple who's constantly running their mouth and they're thinking to themselves you doing all this talking what's going on with your problems what's go, what's what's going on in your relationship that we don't know about that's what i feel is going on with Nick Saban and this NIL situation. And like I said before, better late than never. If you don't know about the comments that Nick Saban made, let me refresh your memory. Nick Saban said this during an event that he was at about a month, about a month and a half ago. This is what he said as it pertains to him accusing Texas A&M football head coach Jim, Jimbo Fisher and Jackson State head football coach Deion Sanders of allegedly paying four or five-star recruits to come to their programs and play football. This is what Nick Saban said. He said, I know the consequence is going to be difficult for people who are spending tons of money to get players, Saban said, according to, according, according to AL.com. Quote, you read, about, you read about it, you know who they are, where we were second in recruiting last year, A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team. Made a deal, made a deal for name, and made a deal for name, image, likeness. He also said we didn't buy one player, all right. 
But I don't know if we were going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. It's tough. And then this is what he said about Deion Sanders and Deion Sanders possibly or or allegedly spending a million dollars to get the number one cornerback in the country out of high school, Travis Hunter, to come to his program. This is what Nick Saban said. He said, we have a rule right now that said you cannot use name, image, likeness to entice a player to come to your school. Hell, read about it in the paper, Nick Saban said. I mean, Jackson State paid a guy a million dollars last year that was a really, really good that was a really good Division One player to come to their school. It was in the paper, and they bragged about it. Nobody did anything about it. And then he also said this. I mean, Saban said, those guys from Miami are going to get basketball, are going are going to play basketball there for four hundred for four hundred thousand dollars. That's in the paper. The guy tells you how he's doing it. So he's also accusing, he's also accusing Miami of doing the same thing. So bottom line is this. And then Nick Saban later on down the line came out. And he apologized for saying what he said about Jimbo Fisher and Deion Sanders and accusing them of paying players to come to their program and play and play football. This is what he said. This is what Nick Saban said in his apology. He said, I, he said, quote, I should have never really singled anybody out. He also said, quote, I really didn't mean to single anybody out. I apologize for that. But it's the whole system. It's the sustainable system. And and is that good for college football? He's and this, and Nick Saban also reached out to Jimbo Fisher, who was on his staff at LSU when they won the national championship in 2002 and Sanders. But he never got a response from either. He never got a response from either Jimbo or Dion. So bottom line is this with Nick Saban. When you call out other programs and then you say that you have never, ever paid a player to try to come to your program and play college football, when you accuse other programs of doing that, now the NCAA can look at you and possibly say to you and possibly say to themselves, okay. Since you're calling out everybody else, let's look into your past and see what you have possibly done. Have you possibly paid players in the past to come to your program? Have you paid? Did you pay a Calvin Ridley? Did you pay a Jerry Judy? Did you pay a Julio Jones? Did you pay a Mark Ingram to come and play for your program? The one person who calls out everybody else for their... The one person who calls out everybody else for their possible potential mistakes is going to ultimately possibly be the one to be looked at as as the hypocrite in this situation because now you're possibly going to be looked at as a person who possibly did the same thing that you're accusing everybody else of. So... I'm not saying that the NCAA is going to do this with Nick Saban. I'm not saying they're going to investigate him. But at the end of the day, you never, ever know. You never, ever know how the NCAA looks at this stuff. Because now that the NIL has been approved, you have players around the country now 
who are taking um who are possibly taking clothing line deals they're taking deals with 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 drinking tea companies they're taking deals with these shoe companies they're possibly taking deals with sock companies with sock companies they're taking they're probably they're possibly taking deals with t-shirt companies now that they that they could not take 3 or 4 years ago they're taking those deals now because it's legal it is legal now. So Nick Saban better watch himself because if he doesn't watch himself, yes, he apologized. The But even though he apologized, the NCAA may now be on his behind now moving forward. And they may and they and they may be monitoring what he's doing now because of him calling out Jimbo Fisher and Deion Sanders and Jackson State and Texas a and But coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give you guys my my way too early NFL playoff teams for the AFC and NFC and I'm going to give you guys my way too early NFL awards predictions for the 2022 NFL season that's coming up stay tuned all right ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the show and welcome to the ending of my NFL division highlight spotlight series where I break down each division in the AFC and each division in the NFC and after I break down each division in the AFC and in the NFC, I give you guys my playoff teams for the AFC and NFC. And then after that, I give you guys my conference championship predictions and ultimately my Super Bowl prediction for the 2022 NFL season. Then after that, I'm going to give you guys my NFL awards predictions for the 2022 NFL season. So with that being said, let's get started with my playoff teams for the AFC and NFC. Let's start with the AFC. In the AFC, my number one seed will be the Denver Broncos with a record of 15 and 2. And the wild card teams will be the Buffalo Bills with the number two seed with a record of 14 and 3. The Baltimore Ravens at the number three seed with a record of 13 and 4. The fourth seed will be the Indianapolis Colts with a record of 11 and 6. The Los Angeles Chargers at the five seed with a record of 12 and 5. The number six seed will be the Las Vegas Raiders with a record of 10 and 7. And lastly, the number 7 and final wild card team in the AFC. The, the number 7 seed will be the Kansas City Chiefs with a record of 9 and 8. Now let's go over to the NFC. The number 1 seed in the NFC will be the Los Angeles Rams with a record of 15 and 2. The wild card teams in the NFC. The number 2 seed will be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with a record of 14 and 3. The number three seed will be the Minnesota Vikings with a record of 13 and 4. The Philadelphia Eagles will be the number four seed with a record of 12 and 5. The number five seed will be the San Francisco 49ers with a record of 12 and 5. The Arizona Cardinals will be the sixth seed with a record of 10 and 7. And the last and final wild card spot in the NFC, the number seven seed will be the New Orleans Saints with a record of 9 and 8. My conference championship games in the in the AFC and NFC. AFC championship game will be the Denver Broncos taking on the Baltimore Ravens. Conference championship game in the NFC. The NFC championship game will be the Los Angeles Rams taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And my Super Bowl 57 matchup for the 2022 NFL season will be the Denver Broncos against the Los Angeles Rams. Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos 
taking on Matthew Stafford, Sean McVay, and the Los Angeles Rams. Now, my 2022 NFL awards predictions. My NFL MVP will be Bills quarterback Josh Allen. To me, it just feels to me, it just feels like Josh Allen is just he's getting better and better and better and better with each year that goes by. To me, as we all know, a couple of seasons ago, Josh Allen in 2020, Josh Allen took that took that took that took that next step, excuse me, of being in the MVP conversation. And 2021, he stepped his game up even more. This year, it just feels like to me Josh Allen is just on the verge of becoming NFL MVP for the first time in his career. So I think Josh Allen will win the will win the NFL MVP award for the first time in his career. My NFL Defensive Player of the Year will be Chargers defensive end Joey Bosa. I say I say Joey Bosa will win the Defensive Player of the Year because if you look at this Chargers defense. Asante Samuel Jr., um, J.C. Jackson, Derwin James, and then you look at Khalil Mack on the other end of that pass rush duo with Joey Bosa, that Chargers defense is going to be very, very good. It's going to be a lot better than people give them credit for. They have the secondary. They have the pass rush. And I just feel like Khalil Mack will take a lot of pressure off of Joey Bosa. He may even take on double teams or even triple teams at time, at times. And I think Joey Bosa will win Defensive Player of the Year. And that's just that's just my thought. Next up, my NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year will be New York Jets cornerback Sauce Gardner. Let's just be real about this. Sauce Gardner was the best cornerback coming out of this draft it would not surprise me if by the time the season starts he's going to be put up against guys like Tyreek Hill he's going to be put up against guys like a Stephon Diggs Sauce Gardner is going to be challenged so I feel like Sauce Gardner is going to is going to live up to the challenge. He's going to struggle to a degree because that's what guy that's what rookie cornerbacks do. That's what Patrick that's what Patrick Sertan did last year. He kind of struggled a little bit, but he eventually found his footing. So I so Sauce Gardner is going to be my NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. My NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year will be Chiefs wide receiver Sky Moore. And a lot of people will probably say, well. Why would Sky Moore be your offensive rookie of the year? Here's why. One name, Andy Reid. It's just it's it's just that simple with it's it's just that simple with Sky Moore. I simply believe this. Andy Reid is going to use Sky Moore like he used Tyreek Hill. Jet sweeps, putting him in the backfield, screens down the field. He might even put him in the backfield from time to time in wildcat situations. Sky Moore is Tyreek. Sky Moore is going to fill the void of Tyreek Hill not being there anymore. He's going to be a he's going to be a semi, I guess you can say, younger version of Tyreek Hill. So Sky Moore is going to be my my off my NFL offensive rookie of the year, and my NFL offensive player of the year. Josh Allen. 
it's going to be Josh Allen. My my off my NFL offensive player of the year is going to be Josh Allen. To me, it just feels like and and I've said this before when I predicted that Josh Allen would be my NFL MVP. It just feels like Josh Allen is just going to simply be on another level. And to me, it just feels like the Bills are already Josh Allen dependent as is. He's their running game. He He's going to more than likely probably throw for 46, 47, maybe even 4,800 yards. On top of on top of him being able to run the football. Now I hope that now I hope that they that that Buffalo's offense doesn't allow Josh Allen to continue to run the football as much as he runs it. And here's the other thing about this. Brian Daybold is not there anymore. So whoever takes over for Brian Daybold, they're gonna have the the opportunity to continue to elevate Josh Allen and take Josh Allen's game to another level, which I really don't think it's going to be that difficult because of how talented Josh Allen is, how talented that Bills offense is. But the only issue with Buffalo is they need to get that running game going. So if they get the if they get their running game going, that's going to take a hell of a lot of pressure off of Josh Allen. So those are my NFL awards predictions for the 2022 NFL season. Josh Allen is my NFL MVP. My defensive player of the year will be Chargers defensive end Joey Bosa. My NFL defensive rookie of the year will be New York Jets cornerback Sauce Gardner. My NFL offensive rookie of the year will be Chiefs wide receiver Sky Moore. My NFL offensive player of the year will be Josh Allen as well. So I have Josh Allen winning MVP and and, and, and offensive player of the year. So That is the end of my NFL Division Highlight Spotlight Series. I hope you all enjoyed it. And there you go. Coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's going to be time for me to leave you with something to think about. That's coming up. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. You know what time it is. It's time for me to leave you with something to think about. The year 2018. Why do I bring up the year 2018? Because that is the year that LeBron James signed a four-year, $153.3 million contract with the Los Angeles Lakers. And we all know what happened with the Lakers after LeBron James signed with them in free agency. The Lakers went on to, a season later, or a couple of seasons later, they went on to win the NBA championship in 2020. And then after that, they've kind of fallen off a little bit. But I digress. But my question to you guys is this. What if LeBron James had never signed with the Los Angeles Lakers in 2018? There was a team in free agency that tried to recruit him more specifically. There was a player in free agency that was on another team that tried to recruit him to come to that team. That player was Chris Paul. Chris Paul, as we all know at that time, had had teamed up with James Harden in Houston. So James Harden and Chris Paul were with the Houston Rockets. And there were a bunch of reports out that Chris Paul, who, who by the way, if you probably don't know, is the godfather to LeBron James' kids. Chris Paul reportedly tried to recruit LeBron James to come to the Houston Rockets. So let's just throw this scenario out there. If LeBron James does not sign with the Lakers in 2018, 
And Chris Paul is able to get LeBron James to come to the Houston Rockets. You have Chris Paul, you have LeBron James, and you have James Harden. All on one team together. Okay? All, to, all together on one team. Now, let's go back for a second. Chris Paul and James Harden and the Houston Rockets previously had played the Golden State Warriors in the 2018 Western Conference Finals. And we all know what happened with that. Chris Paul messed up his hamstring in Game 6. Had Chris Paul not messed up his hamstring in Game 6, the Rockets win that Western Conference Finals series and they move on to the NBA Finals. And they probably end up playing LeBron and the Cavaliers. But I digress. If LeBron James... And if LeBron James signs with Chris Paul, James Harden, and the Houston Rockets in free agency in 2018, then that means that more than likely, Houston ends up playing Portland at some point during the Western Conference playoffs in 2019. They knock Portland out, and you get and we get a Houston Rockets Golden State rematch in 2019 between LeBron, Chris Paul, and James Harden against Steph, Clay, Draymond, and KD in the Western Conference Finals. And who wins that series? Does LeBron, Chris Paul, and James Harden and the Rockets win that series? Or do Steph, Clay, and Draymond, and KD and Steve Kerr continue to reign supreme over the Western Conference? And do they defeat LeBron, Chris Paul, James Harden, and the Houston Rockets and get back to the NBA Finals again. Who knows? Who knows? But what if LeBron James would have never signed with the Lakers and actually would have joined Chris Paul in Houston and teamed up with Chris Paul and James Harden? What if LeBron James had been a Houston Rocket with Chris Paul and James Harden? We will never, ever know. That's why this is what if. Thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast. I really, really do appreciate all of you out there listening. If you would like to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram at quietsoul24, lowercase q-u-i-e-t-s-o-u-l-24. And you can follow me on Facebook at Jared Dawkins, at J-A-R-E-D Dawkins, D-A-W-K-I-N-S. If you would like to send me send me any sports topic questions, whether it pertains to whether it pertains to basketball, college football, or the or or the NFL, you're more than welcome to. You can send them to me at my email, jdawkins24 at yahoo.com, lowercase j, lowercase d, a w k i n s 24, the at symbol, yahoo.com. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you all enjoy the NBA finals as I know I will. Thank you all for listening. I'm out. Peace.